it went straight down the middle. Then it started to. So you say you said you stayed close all week. You started off with uh, seventy-one sixty-eight, and uh, after thirty-six holes, you were two behind Tom Watson and uh, Mark Weeby, who were leading. And then uh, after a little uh, seventy in the third round, you started off the last day one back of Watson. Yeah, the seventy. But you got further back of that, though, didn't you? Before you got to the front. Well, you remember the finish that you had. Oh, I remember the finish. (laughs) 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 What a finish! I do remember after Saturday's round, I hit the ball great on Saturday, and I mean, I kept hitting it in there, eight feet, ten feet, you know, twelve feet, and and I couldn't make a birdie the back nine, and my putt, I just felt like. I was just a little tentative with my putting. And so I went out there for almost an hour on the putting green that night. And um, and maybe back to the NCAA when Stan Wood gave me that lesson. But I was sure. going to say, do you remember <laughs> what Stan said? I know, to make sure I was hitting through the putts. And so I, I started feeling better with the putter. And so I remember going out the, so the, the last round, First hole, hit it in the rough, you know, chop it out, get it on the green 20 feet, par five, and and I'm just lagging it down there, and I rolled it in. I made 20 foot of the first hole, birdie. (laughs) And then the second hole, uh, just off the green, chipping about six feet, made that one. Wow, for a par. So I'm I'm rolling the ball good. And so then I get to – I bogey three of the next four holes and every, every bogey was just off the green, but I had, um, I'd hit every shot up there. I'd hit about six or seven feet away. And, and I hit all of these putts really good and they just missed. So even though I'm bogey and missing, I knew I was stroking the ball good. And so, uh, yeah, then just kept, you know, made some pars and, I just remember uh, thinking, you know, even par might actually win this tournament. You know, Watson, you know, is like one under, I'm even, and make the turn and uh, make makes a couple good pars. And then got to the, uh, what, 14th hole. 14. 14. Take us in from there, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'd made some really good, uh, actually, you know, hit in the green, made some good pars, still even. And I think Watson, and Watson was still one under. And uh, there were a lot of guys that could have were right in there. You know, Mize had won the Masters earlier. He was playing good. Crenshaw, uh, Ballesteros, I think, came in third. A whole bunch of guys were in there. Longer was in there. Yeah. And then, uh, so 14, hit a good three-wood out there, really good seven iron, about six feet, and I make the putt for birdie. I think, ooh, wow, now I'm I'm definitely in there. And the next hole, 15, it's, it's only an eight iron. But it's a, a tight little green with bunkers all the way around sure it. And it I is. put it I put it right in the middle of the green. And the pin's back right. So I hit a perfect shot. And now I'm just lagging it up there from probably at least twenty five feet. I mean just lagging it, so I'm trying to get it close. And it goes in. Like holy fuck. Oh. Wow. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> now I step up on the sixteenth hole and now I'm two under. Step up on sixteen and the first thought that goes through my mind is Arnold Palmer hooking it into the woods, mm-hmm. making a bogey. Uh, that's, I'm a kind good, of, that's a good swing thought. I'm kind of a golf <laughs> nerd, so I remember that. 
And so <laughs> the one place I am not going to go is left because once you go left, when you hit it, because it's a dog leg left, you hit it left in the woods. Now you're, you're dead. And so I pushed mine out to the right, <laughs> just barely in the right rough, but I caught a really good lie uh, where everyone would kind of walk down. And the thing about the right, if you push it right, because it's a dog leg left, you're pretty much always going to have a shot to the fairway. Mm-hmm. So I hit a one iron down there in the fairway. Now I've got a kind of like a little punch nine iron to the green, hit it in there 15 feet. And I make that one. And I thought, oh my gosh. And so my goal that week, as I'd said before, was just to try to hit each shot as good as I could. I wasn't paying attention. And so my goal also was not to look at leaderboards. And so because that wasn't my goal, was my results. My goal was just do each best I could on each shot. So I couldn't resist. I look over at the leaderboard. Simpson, minus three. Watson had just birdied. Watson, minus, minus two. two. Everyone else over par. So right. <laughs> I look back in the fairway, and there's Tom Watson, hands on his hips with a wedge to the green there on 16. I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of mm-hmm. golf to go <laughs> to try to win this thing. <laughs> And I hit a. Then you got a tough hole to play then. Yeah, 17, 17 was a par five normally, turned into a par four. And the, right. the trouble is, is that in a par five, you drive it out there in the fairway, but there's a. When they turn it into a par four, the fairway has a big bank farther you go up, left to right. And I hit a really good drive right down the left side, probably a little draw, and it still rolled all the way down into the right rough. And the pin's front right, so I'm thinking, well, and there's a, it's a par five, so that's tiny and green. Uh, and so I just said, well, I'd rather miss it in the left bunker because now I'm going to have more room going at the pin in the front right. And so I hit it, pulled it probably a little bit, trying to hit this little five-yard gap, but hit it in the left bunker. And a lot of people always say, man, what an unbelievable bunker shot you hit there. And back then, as Bruce knows, we all had 56-degree sand wedges. Yeah. <laughs> we just had to learn how to open that baby up and yeah and uh yeah i did hit a good bunker shot i didn't think it was that hard but everyone's oh no it's so hard was, okay but hit it down there again about probably about six feet and i made that one so i made four really good putts in a row and uh, yeah great great par save there yeah yeah i remember I, I tell kids all the time i remember going to the 18th tee and all of a sudden it hit me like i could really win the u.s open I mean, this is crazy. This has been, this is like the dream of dreams since I'm 10 years old, you know, and putting for those dimes. And, and I remember being really nervous on the 18th tee, thinking if I can just hit the fairway, you know, obviously that's where, that's where Ben Hogan lost when he it was slipped and hit it in the left rough. And so, um, thinking, geez, if I can just hit this two iron down the middle, hit it in the fairway. And and I remember I tell kids all the time, the sports psychologists sometimes say, don't hit until you're ready. Well, I'd still be on the tee if I was waiting until I was ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's no way yeah. I'd be ready. And uh, that's where, to me, I'd worked really hard, again, out of Byron Nelson's book on uh, my routine. My routine was a practice swing, which early on in my career, Chichi Rodriguez, I played with him, he says, Parse. You have to lose the practice swing. No good player ever takes a full practice swing before they hit. I'm like, really, really? Then I play with Gene Littler. Gene Littler takes a full practice swing. So I kept it. So 
my practice swing is is kind of like feeling the shot I'm going to hit, and then I get over it, and like out of the Hogan book, I take two waggles, and then uh, go, and then I go, yep. and so I said, I I can't feel anything, my knees are shaking, but I'm going to do my routine and hope for the best, and uh, and hit it down the middle, and then punched a little eight iron just underneath the hole, about 15 feet, and lagged it up. <laughs> I, I knew the the thing you can't do at Olympic Club 18th hole is go past the hole because no, you when you're coming downhill, it just won't stop. So I hit, I lagged it up there like six inches short, tapped it in, and then I had to wait for uh, Tom Watson to see what he would do. And uh, he made a good par. He parred 17. So now all he has to do is par 18 and uh, hits it down the middle, of course, and hits his wedge or nine iron uh, right at the pin, but it came up. Uh, short all the way on the front edge of the green almost spun back on the fringe and i thought oh my gosh i'm gonna win the u.s open because he's got a 40 footer uphill right to left late in the day there's no way you can make this putt (laughs) and so uh, sure enough so he gets over it and it's tom watson and six feet short of the hole i thought for sure he made the putt it looked so good breaking right into the hole and it missed probably one inch short of the hole <laughs> hit the most. <laughs> and I thought, Oh my gosh. I was so glad I didn't have to play Tom Watson in a playoff the next day. <laughs> the Stanford, <laughs> the Stanford kid played the Olympic club and the eight time major winner. But, uh, so Scott, yeah. he, he was, he was playing in the group behind you. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I played with Lenny Clements who, I'll uh, say a journeyman pro. Never, Lenny never went on tour, but I had played with Lenny in San Diego Junior Golf, so uh, it was a really fun, comfortable pairing. Yeah, and uh, one yeah. group ahead of Tom Watson, who was playing with Keith Clearwater, because they were both tied and one under going to the last round. So, where were you at when when Watson was hitting his putt? Where were you at? I was at a uh, like a booth watching it on one of the little screens there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I was just like, wow, I really did. I won. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Now I look back at uh, pictures. Uh, I have a picture. You can see it in my background there. Uh, my wife just put up a bunch of pictures that we had finally gone through. And Cheryl, and so there's a picture of me hitting into the 18th hole of Olympic. And the whole side of the hill is, is covered with people. I mean, the whole gallery is there. And I remember yeah. looking at that picture going, oh, my gosh, look at all those people. I don't remember. You didn't see him. I didn't see <laughs> one person when I was playing the hole in 1987. <laughs> you were in the zone, man. I you guess I was zone. because all I remember yeah. seeing was the middle of that green. <laughs> you know, with, with everything going on with artificial intelligence and all these technological advances, at some point, and maybe this is 50 years ago, people are listening to this episode and hearing Scott talk about this. At some point, perhaps, the television viewer will get the benefit of what's going through the player's mind standing on that uh, 18th yeah. tee playing for the U.S. Open. <laughs> I mean, can you AI? imagine if the listener could have listened in what, what was going through your head, Scott? Yeah, it was uh, probably everything that could go wrong. I could Damn top this thing. How embarrassing would that be? <laughs> Jeez, hit it in the rough. Oh. oh, geez, I don't want to make bogey or double. <laughs> the other thing about me winning the U.S. Open was that I had beat 
the star, Tom Watson. Now, Olympic Club had the reputation of, of course, the first one was Ben Hogan losing to Jack Fleck. And then Arnold Palmer, seven-shot lead, losing to Billy Casper. And so the whole, every almost every article was Scott Simpson, this guy who is not very good, beat the great Tom Watson. And my dad, <laughs> I remember the Sports Illustrated was basically the basically the article was how I ruined the U.S. Open by winning and not having Tom Watson win. <laughs> and my dad was all upset and everything. I said, "Dad, it's okay. My name's on the trophy. It doesn't. They can write whatever they want." But uh, yeah, yeah it, it did have the reputation of the uh, of the underdog beating the yeah. you know the the favorite, and so yep. I, I definitely was in that category of the underdog beating the the great you know and Hall of Famer and one of the great players, especially in the eighties, one of one of the great players ever, Tom Watson. Yeah, and yeah. and and I was a big Tom Watson fan too. I loved the way he played the game, loved the way his attitude. I mean, he could hit it everywhere at times and uh good shot, bad shot. Nothing changed with Tom Watson. And, uh, no, I, I loved, I actually copied his chipping technique and uh, I was a big Tom Watson fan. So to beat him also, yeah. and he could not have been a greater sportsman when he lost. And he talked about, uh, Nicholas basically setting the example when he beat Nicholas of being just, a gracious loser and Tom Watson could not have been mm -hmm. more complimentary to me. And uh, that meant a lot too, that um, yeah. he was, he was fantastic. Well, to your point about the name on the trophy, I was in Far Hills, New Jersey, two years ago, visited the USGA museum, stepped into the big room, looked at the 1987 champion board, Scott Simpson, us open champion and then I turned to my right, walked a few paces, and looked at the original U.S. Open trophy. And whose name is etched in that trophy forever? 1987 champion, Scott Simpson. That's pretty cool. Crazy. <laughs> that is very cool. That is very cool. Yeah, so, yeah, now I look back on it saying, how the heck did I win that thing? So, <laughs> that's a big thrill. Now tell us what happened after the victory. What uh, did it? What, what happened to your life after the victory? Well, um, did it change in any way? Or? I know I was asked that. Is this going to change your life? And and I, I said no. I don't think it's going to change my life. And I don't think it did. Um, it changes your opportunities. And so my life uh -huh. didn't change. Uh, my faith, my marriage, kids, all that. All the important stuff right. stayed the same. And so, um, right. but it changes your opportunity. So I got the chance to go play in more tournaments, uh, get invited here and there. Uh, you know, your endorsements go up. Uh, everyone wants right. to talk to you now where normally I didn't have to do interviews and things like that. And so I got much busier uh, with other stuff than golf. And so in 1988, the next year, I played terrible. I mean, I, I missed the cut at the Masters. My brother was caddying for me. I mean, I played terrible. And uh, it was my worst year on tour up to that point. And so, and and now I think back, it was just because I got so busy. Um, I put, I probably did put extra pressure on myself. You know, you're the U.S. Open champ. You got to play good. And, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the extra pressure and not being able to practice as much because I used to love, I used to practice pretty hard, just be, and partly because I just loved it. I mean, going mm-hmm. out to hit balls was just fun, and uh, just and trying to compete is fun, and so yeah, I kind of had to struggle through 1988. Uh, yeah, just yeah, just didn't play as well. I mean, didn't play horrible, but um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. So, Scott, you wanted a great uh, club, great track, tremendous history. Of course, everybody remembers because uh, you alluded to it, and that's what Arnold Palmer did to uh, losing after a, uh, losing a quite a big lead to, to Jack Fleck. Uh, I think it was probably uh, Billy Casper that uh, won it next there. Uh, uh, Lee Jansen won it after you. We're going to visit with Lee uh, in, in a little bit. But uh, I, probably the year Billy Casper won, Bruce, was the year you had a chance to accompany the Hogans out to the U.S. Open at Olympic Club. Do you remember that? Yeah, I sure do. That was one of the great times. Scott will enjoy it, seeing that he's was going to maybe ask about the Hogans. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, I was living in Florida then, and my wife Gloria and I, we got on a plane, come to Dallas, and Ben and Valerie Hogan got on the plane with us, and we went to the Top of the Mark Hotel, Stayed at the Top of the Mark Hotel all week, had dinner each night, played every practice round together. It was quite a it was quite a week to be around the the Hawk. I tell you, he's a well, the one thing that I, I, I remember more than anything else is Monday night we went to we went to have dinner and I got enough courage to ask him, I said, you know, you know, we read so many stories about what happened when you led, you know, left El Paso coming back home. And he started off telling a story, and we finished at uh, Marion. At, uh, so that's like a three and a half wow. years, I guess it was. <laughs> Anyhow, it was. Uh, wow. It was. It was a. Uh, it was quite a week. So did did he have to change his swing when his legs were so bad? Did he have? Did oh, he talk I think about he that did a little bit? Yeah, I think I think he I think he got more I think he got a little bit more handsier uh, towards the end of his career. And you know, the one thing about him, I'll say this about him, you know, he played up until '69. At I think it was at Champions where he where he said that's it enough. Yeah, uh, and he uh, he you know when he got to a point when he thought he he. Wasn't going to be competitive anymore. Even at that age, uh, he said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I know, because they would have loved to have him play on that. The, you know, like you talked about, the Ending Creek, the first Champions Tour tournaments, um, mm-hmm. which he could still compete. He would have competed in those. He would have been good enough. And uh, Yeah, he could have. Yeah, definitely could have played. You that. know, Sneed was playing. And um, I, I did get to. I, so when, Senzo. when I turned pro. I was such a big fan. I, I used Hogan equipment. So uh-huh. I loved Hogan irons and woods. And so I got to meet Mr. Hogan. And they had a dinner every year for the Hogan company, yeah, everyone who right. used them. So I got to meet him. And I got to watch him hit balls once at Shady Oaks. And uh, uh-huh. wow, big thrill. And Right up on top of the hill up there. Yeah, just to, <laughs> just to get to watch him hit. It was amazing. Yeah. Even at the, you know, I, I can't remember how old he was, but now would he ever talk to you about your golf swing or anything like that?
Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Panda and Shepard, as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Well, never, never said a, a great deal about it. Offered a couple of uh, thoughts if he saw something that was sneaking in. You know, if I was starting to do something that was repetitive, he mm-hmm. would suggest a slight modification. But he, you know, he never talked a, a great deal about it. I, oh. I remember playing with him a practice round at Augusta, and we're hitting golf balls there. And uh, you know, I always got through like you would have got through hitting my balls quick so I could sort of watch, sit there and watch him hit it before <laughs> we went out and played. And he was he was hitting these, uh, you know, like sit-up shots, you know, just slight fallers to the right. Mm. Uh, and we walk out on the first tee and I looked at where he was alive. He had it aimed at the bunker. Mm. And I thought, hmm, what's what's – all this, so he hits a little, a little drawer off the bunker on the first Ooh. hole there, and we're walking up the fairway. I said to him, "I got to ask you, I got to ask you a question. <laughs> I just watched you hit all these sit-up shots on the practice tee, and then you hit a, about a five or seven-yard drawer off the first tee." He said, "Well, the first hole's a bit long, so we need to get a little extra length." <laughs> wow! Amazing. Uh, because early in his career with Power Golf, I mean, he he could he could bomb it. I think when he first he came out, he could get it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winning that U.S. Open in 1987 also qualified you for a little event that was coming up later in the year at Muirfield Village. Yeah, that's true. Making the uh, Ryder Cup. Yeah, that was a that was a huge thrill. Um, my idea of the Ryder Cup was a a little different than some of the other guys, I think. And the fact that uh, obviously we're not getting paid. I viewed it kind of like the Walker Cup and the fact that I, I think it's so much fun to play in. You get to represent your country. It's fantastic. But to me, the winning and losing part was not the most important part. I kind of viewed it the way they set it up, that you should be able to go compete. Uh, whoever wins and loses, let's go have a beer and a great job guys you know this was fun and i think that was the whole idea behind it and uh i thought that way and and so obviously we were the first team i think maybe the first team to lose on american soil and with jack as a captain i'm in hindsight uh, jack's pairings were not great (laughs) you know we played muirfield where uh, late in the year, it became kind of a birdie fest in a way. All the five bars were reachable. And so um, I played the first match. And, and I, I do remember I was I was playing pretty good. But I remember playing on the ninth hole. Jack showed up watching us in the practice round. And I, and I hit a big hook down to the left side where you don't want to be. I hit a bad shot. And I remember Jack just kind of looking like, oh, oh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was. And so I only played one match. I think he thought I was playing terrible or something. And, um, but you know, you're not going to argue with the captain. And yeah. I played the yeah. first match with Ben Crenshaw and we played in a best ball. And I thought, gosh, we would be a good team in an alternate shot because we, we weren't, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, became, I became a more of a consistent down the middle, you know, plotter, you know, I'd hit, hit down the yep. middle, hit mm-hmm. fairways, greens, good short game and band kind of the same way. And, uh, but we had some guys who would bomb it. We had Calcavecchia and Bean and uh, Dan Pohl. We had some guys mm-hmm. who you could hit it out there. I thought, why why don't they play the best ball? And so it's just kind of some funny pairings, but um, but it was a thrill. I mean, it was so much fun. It's fun to be with your team and all these guys that you compete against all the time, and now all of a sudden you're together as a team, and yeah. that was fun. That was really fun. So mm-hmm. even though we lost. I had a great week and there were some guys who were all mad and bummed out. And I thought, well, I mean, I didn't like seeing them dance around on the 18th grade of Muirfield, but I also yeah, wasn't going to let yeah. that ruin a great week. So uh, yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was fun. Well, I'll tell you one of your teammates who wasn't very happy because he was one of our first interviews. And that's the guy that, uh, that almost dunked it on the final hole in 1983 at Palm Beach Gardens to win it for the Americans, Lanny Watkins. And I remember specifically, because, you know, for our listeners, just to kind of fill you guys in on the background here, you know, the Europeans uh, had just started playing back in either 79 or 81, I think. And, and in 83, they come to Palm Beach Gardens, Seve's there and Faldo and the big boys. And it took uh, a wedge really stuck to, you know, to, to, to just tap in range by Lanny Watkins on the last hole to clinch it for the Americans at home. And that put the Americans on notice that year that these boys are coming to play. And yeah. so they go to, they go to uh, the Belfry, I think in 85 and get their head handed to them. And so the, the Europeans uh, win for the first time in a, in a while. And then here they come back to Muirfield village Jack Nicholas's place, Jack's the captain, up against Tony Jacklin, and Lanny Watkins tells us, he says, that's the toughest loss I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Well, Lanny and I are different. <laughs> Isn't it, though, interesting, the perspectives, yeah. right? Because this was yeah. your one taste at, at Ryder Cup, and you enjoyed the experience. I loved it. Yeah. It was a great week. And I remember early in the week, you know, Jack said, I remember his comment, like, come on, guys, we're not going to let them win a point. I remember hearing that. I'm thinking <laughs> they're going to win some points. I said we we can yeah. we can win this thing, but I'm thinking, oh yeah, they're going to win some points. You look back at their team. Oh my gosh, they they had a great team. They had a lot of Hall of Famers yeah, on there. Team. So uh, yeah, most of the Big Five. They had a really good team. So yeah, you got Wisdom. Right, Wisdom, Faldo, Seve, Bernhard, and Sandy Lyle—the big five for Europe big were five. all there. And then yeah. you throw in Alatha Ball and some other guys. And Alatha Ball's um, Hall of Fame. Yo, no, I'm, I know, but in terms of the big five from Europe, I know, yeah, because Alatha Ball was a—he was kind of—he may have been a rookie that year, and he played with Seve every match. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Alatha Ball yeah. could man, he could chip and putt. <laughs> <laughs> then, but they, you know, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed it. It was fun. So, what a great experience. Yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. 
That's just me. Yep. <laughs> you went got to go back to your stomping ground though. Late in eighty eight, right? You went to Japan again, right? You win the crowns yep. tournament at Nagoya again. Oh, that's true. And you beat That's true. There was there beat, was one good Chinese. You beat spot. Jumbo Ozaki. <laughs> Yeah, I did you, play. You brought down all those Japanese boys, didn't you? I know. <laughs> even even in Japan, where Jumbo gets to use the, any kind of ball he wants, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there were always rumors. Because Jumbo played so good in Japan, and there are always rumors that oh well, you know, he's got these hot balls and all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was even going around here, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. On the tour here, they were talking about Oh, it they say, yeah, check his golf balls. Yeah, I don't think so. Because he hit it far. But, uh, yeah, I love the crowns. It was just a great, great, uh, great course for me. So, yeah, you're right. There was there was one shining spot in 88. So that was good. <laughs> yeah, Jumbo had won that event five times coming into this uh, tournament. Uh, you know, back in 84 when you won uh, – Aoki had won that event five times as well coming into that event. So uh, you were up against a couple of tough yeah. competitors, and I'm sure the crowd wasn't behind Scott Simpson. Uh, no, no probably not. So. But it helps that uh, it helps that Cheryl's half Japanese. So they they always knew yeah. my wife was half Japanese. And, you know, Cheryl, when growing up in Hawaii, her mom was Japanese. Her dad was from North Dakota. So, But, uh, yeah. yeah, we've always – we've always loved Japan and love going to Japan. And there's always been a thrill just to be able to be invited over there so much. And uh, now we just go, just, now we just go as vacation and just enjoy yeah. it. But it was always, yeah. I always yeah. loved going to Japan and playing golf. So let's go to 1989, the Bell South Atlanta classic at Atlanta country club, winning that one in a playoff with another major champion winner, Bob Tway. Yeah, I had not been playing all that great. Um, like I said, 88 was a down year. So, yeah, to win in 89, um, that did feel like somewhat of a validation after winning the U.S. Open. I wanted to make sure, shoot, I didn't. I sure didn't want that to be my last win ever. So to win there uh, meant a lot. And Atlanta Country Club was just a really fun course to play, too. A lot of dog legs up and down the hills and against small grains. And yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was fun. Beat him in a playoff. He had a really good shot right in, right in the middle of the green. Hit a, I just remember hitting a great three iron. And then uh, I think he bogeyed. So made it easy on me from like 10 feet. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to 1991 and Bruce. Uh, we could have very easily been talking about a guy like Andy North and like Curtis Strange that won not one, but two Open Championships. Definitely. Scott Simpson had a big chance to win in 91. Big chance. And uh, I'm sure you're going to tell us what was going on there that year. <laughs> yeah, 91, man. Uh, I had played good in all the U.S. Opens, actually, from – 87 up to 91 and had chances in all of them actually to a degree. And, um, but then 91. Yeah. I just, I remember going there and playing. Uh, it's kind of like we're playing with you, Bruce. I played a practice round and, and was playing really well. playing with my buddy, Peter Jacobson. And Peter uh -huh. said, man, Scott, you're swinging great. I don't think I've ever swing, seen you swing better. And uh, that just gave me this confidence boost of, 
Yeah, I mean, it feels good, but and and I've, I and I always loved Peter Jacobson's game. If he could have putted better, um, who knows how many tournaments and majors he might have won? But uh, yeah. he hit the ball so well, and so Peter uh, gave me a confidence boost. And I went out there. I just played played great, and uh, obviously, the thing I remember most was was coming down with three holes to go. I had a two shot lead. And this time I felt really confident. Uh, so we're in Hazeltine, uh, obviously a, a tough course. It's U.S. Open and uh, mm-hmm. tough finishing holes. And the one place you can't go on 16 is to the right. And so you get blocked out by trees, there's water. And so I pulled it just enough to get it in the left rough. Terrible lie, chopped it out and couldn't up and down it. So I made a bogey. Hit a good shot in 17, uh, missed my birdie putt, make a par. Now 18, so I've got a par 18 to win the U.S. Open. And I hit a really good drive, but again, I pulled it just a little bit, kind of lands in the edge of the fairway, jumps through the first cut, and just barely in the long stuff. And I've got to chop it out with a nine iron. And I hit a wedge. Uh, I've I'm chopped it out. I had 100 yards to go and hit it up on the green and two-putted. And so now we go to the playoff. And so play off the next day with Payne Stewart. And I can't remember. I know at one point Payne wore his, you know, like Minnesota Vikings colors and he's got the knickers. Payne mm-hmm. was really popular back then. And uh, and we were friends. Uh, actually, the, the wives, uh, Tracy and Cheryl, to some degree, walked uh, together in the playoff and we were friends. Our kids were kind of – his kids are a little bit younger. But – um you know, we're all, as you know, well, Bruce, we all travel the tour together. So yeah. we're friends, but here we are in a playoff and we went down to hit balls and there's some, you know, a few hundred people around. I tell Payne, I say, man, I thought they'd have more people out here because the galleries were huge. And we got up to the first hole and the whole hole has people. <laughs> there's like <laughs> 30,000 people lined on just going to watch two guys play golf. And, uh, <laughs> so we went out and Hello. played and it was I actually I I had so much fun. The playoff was really fun. It was really competitive. And um I remember we had a lot of rain earlier in the week and the ball was really stopping well. I think we were eight under par, so on a tough golf course. But we got out there in the playoff and the wind had come up and the greens had dried out. And I remember in the second hole hitting a really good nine iron, landing it right by the pin, and downwind, and it goes forty feet past the hole, and I three putt. But I'm thinking, how did that release forty feet with a good nine iron from the fairway? And the green, it was just, it was just hard, and kind of the way they probably wanted it. And so we were both kind of struggling. We both played, you know, some good, some bad. Uh, I remember Payne's ball. He hit it on the eighth hole into the water and it hit a rock and jumped up. Still made bogey, but uh, lucky guy. And uh, <laughs> we went back and forth. Uh, I was ahead. He was ahead. And and then I made a birdie, uh, 15. And I was two ahead with three to go again. And this time I hit it right down the middle, hit it right in the middle of the green on 16. He kind of pushed it down the right side, but stayed in the fairway, hit it over the trees. And I putted mine up. I left it like well, maybe with three feet, and uh, he made it from like twenty-five feet. Made the bomb, and then I missed my little one. 
So all of a sudden now we're tied. And then I, then he hits a really nice shot and I probably tried too hard and I pull it in the water and I made an unbelievable four. I had to drop it in this hard pan on the other side, hit over the water and made a putt for four. Wow. And so I'm still in it. And, uh, 18, he hits it in the right bunker. I hit drive. And now this, this time I pushed it and it goes through the bunker into the rough, which may not have been a good lack. It may have been a good break because, yeah. uh, he hit it short of the green and I hit a great uh, shot out of the rough right at the pin, lands in the front and it goes over the green. It's just, you just can't stop it. And, uh, he put it up there about four, three or four feet away and he had not missed one of those yet. I mean, he, he was really rolling the ball well. And so I said, well, I got to chip it in to, to hopefully tie him. And I said, well, I tried to chip it in and knocked it 10 feet by and missed and Payne won. And, uh, yeah. I remember the, uh, Payne, we had talked about uh, Christianity and stuff and he, he wasn't buying it. And, uh, one of the things he told Larry Moody says, you know, I always hear these guys thank God when they win. I want to hear someone thank God when they lose. <laughs> and sure enough, I get it. I had, I had not heard that. Larry told me later. And I get in the press tent first because I lost. They want to talk to the loser first. And I said, you know, I just thank, you know, the God the same way I did when I won that for the opportunity to be here. And I mean, I played great golf and I lost to a great champion and uh, Payne played fantastic. And, uh, it's, but it was a great opportunity, and, uh, you know, I was just thankful. And uh, Payne told Larry later, he goes, okay, okay, I heard someone thank God when they lost. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it was actually really fun. The playoff was fun. I mean, I didn't like losing. That wasn't fun. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'd done this, I had done the same thing that, I'd done when, when, that I had done when I'd won in the fact that I gave it my best on every shot. And so – yeah, sure. I felt fine. I felt that was that was the best I could do. Yeah, but to have thirty thousand people focused on you two guys, yeah, that was something. I crazy, know it was cool, it? and I, I actually <laughs> three putted I think three or four times that day, and so I just was a little off. But uh, but it went back and forth too, with one of us ahead and then behind, and it was. I mean, the scores weren't good, 75-77, but it, was, it, was, it would have been fun to watch. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle, quite away.